You'll know when you have a wild woman. She'll practice her craft without boundaries. She is truly autonomous. Her loyalty is only to the family she serves, a midwife who will not allow herself to be held back by a system she didn't create. This podcast is for the birth keepers who want to grow and change. We're open to learning through self-reflection and supportive community. We are creating this space to explore without judgment. We are remembering we were born wild. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Born Wild podcast. This is your host, Leah. And Sophia, Nina, and Emma are out today. But today we have, yeah, it's just us, but we're also joined by Dr. Julie, um, a chiropractor who used to be local to us. Are you officially moved or not yet? My family is just not me. Okay. Yeah. We're so happy for you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Not jealous at all. Well, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and your family, and then you can go right into how did you become a chiropractor? What like brought you to that path? Okay. So my name is Julie Rusted, and I am a chiropractor. And um, really, well, back it up, my family, I'm married to uh, my husband, Kyle Rested for 21 years now. We just celebrated. Um, yeah. Ooh. And uh, I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old um, who are both home water births, uh, which was awesome and amazing. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, and they're homeschooled and they're just stinking awesome, who I've been living away from for over a year now. So I'm looking really Ooh. forward to getting back to wow. in the same home and hugging them every day and kissing them every day. Um, Um, yeah, so love my family and they're great. Uh, how I got into chiropractic is kind of a funny story. Um, I, uh, was pre-med, uh, undergrad at UC Santa Barbara. My second year, I just realized that was not the career path that I wanted. I didn't want to live that lifestyle. I didn't want to help people, you know, with medicine and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and my mom was a physical therapist, which is kind of why I wanted to go into that, that, avenue of helping people. Um, but I just didn't want to do it that way anymore. And my neighbor who was a good friend of mine, her dad was a chiropractor and she looked at me and she said, you should be a chiropractor. And I said, what the hell is that? (laughs) (laughs) And so her dad was practicing in Ventura, 30 minutes South of us. And she said, just go get adjusted. Just go see my dad. And so I met him and he told me about chiropractic. I got my first adjustment. I was like, oh my God, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And it only took one adjustment. Um, And I was a healthy young person. I had like childhood asthma. um, So I always had a little bit of a challenge with my workouts and my breathing and all that. I had one adjustment and I just, I was breathing better. I felt better. My spine no longer popped all over the place. So I was, I was in it right then and there I decided. And uh, so I kept seeing him every week for um, the rest of my uh, undergrad uh, career. And so once I graduated, I went on and um, interned for a chiropractor in Bakersfield because I got married right after I graduated in 2000. Um, And then I went to which is where we lived for the first year because my husband already had a job there. Uh, Nobody wants to live in Bakersfield, but uh, so we were there for a year. Oh, no, I'm (laughs) 
five, five and a half hours south of here. Um, So I interned for a chiropractor locally in that area, and he really taught me everything I know today about um, chiropractic philosophy and how the body heals from the inside out and how we are a self-healing unit if we just help to get the the problems out of the way, those interferences in the nervous system. So um, I really learned how I wanted to be a chiropractor. And then I went to chiropractic school and um, I graduated 16 years ago in 2005 and um, started my first practice in Folsom and then decided I didn't want to do that on my own because I wanted to have babies and I, and it's a lot of work. So I went into practice with a friend of mine at the time, um, tenant, well, in 2006. Um, and, uh, we started serendipity chiropractic and 10 and a half years later, I bought her out in 17, moved it and kept going. And it's been such an amazing experience for me. And I, I just love what I do. And I help people all the time from birth, from the, as soon as they're born to their last breath. Um, and there's nobody that doesn't need chiropractic. And that's basically because we are living every day. And those daily stressors of everything that we do is how we get what we as chiropractors call subluxated, um, which is what those vertebrae getting misaligned and then interfering with the nervous system, which then causes pain or dysfunction or, you know, problems, which again, for babies and for kids, um, you know, that's interfering with the, the respiratory center in the brainstem that's affecting the vagus nerve and affecting all of your organs. That's, you know, affecting the digestive system, causing colic or discomfort that we don't know, and they don't sleep well or latch well or nurse well, you know, any of that stuff. Um, and so it, your pelvic bones can be balanced and allow for less urine distortion um, allowing that baby to get into a good posture or good, good birthing position, allowing, um, there to be less tension, uh, down there and allowing the process to be improved and, and as free and healthy as possible, um, is really the goal. And it's, and again, it's just so simple and yet sometimes hard to understand. Um, I think a lot of people just think it's, um, back cracking and it's for if you have a back and like, but that's all it's for. Yeah, no, I mean that some, some techniques in chiropractic don't do any cracking per se, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ways to adjust the spine and adjust the, um, joints. And, you know, some of them are very, uh, non-force techniques from even energy, uh, techniques called network or BGI. And then there's Mm -hmm. things like the activator that are a spring loaded instrument that puts again, a very low force, um, low force force (laughs) into the spine to make that um, adjustment in the joint to, again, free up the movement, reduce the inflammation and free up the nerves so that they can fire properly, um, which again, makes you feel better and makes you function better and and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious, are there different types of chiropractors or different methods that different chiropractors use? Because I feel like I've been to a lot of different chiropractors and I don't know if it's just that some people you gel with more, you resonate with more, but it, they all kind of work. It seems a little differently. Um, and so I'm just not sure if it's how our connection is to each other. Um, based on certain tension in the legs because of how that rotation then pulls into the legs and then you can feel that, that rotation. So um, you, you check the sacrum based on that, which I also check the ilia, the other pelvic bones, because it's, 
you have to just make sure that you're checking it all because that's not always 100%, right? So you need to look at everything along with um, then part of that technique is releasing the round ligament from the front because as that gets rotated and that torsion happens, it can uh, cause tension on the round ligament, which then perpetuates the problem and the, the pelvic distortion. Right. And so that really helps. But the other thing to keep in mind when we when people ask about techniques and how chiropractors are different. One thing that I like to really point out, make sure that people understand when you're looking for a chiropractor, you want to look for a holistic. Subluxation based chiropractor that focuses on the fact that the whole body is involved and that the body heals from the inside out. And it's not about your pain and it's not about just, Oh, where's your pain? Okay. I'll adjust just there. And then you're out the door. That is a pain-based chiropractor and pain-based chiropractors, in my opinion, and I don't want to say anything negative about any of my other colleagues, but in my opinion, they are missing the boat and you don't get the same kind of care from a person that's focused on your pain. That's why I tell every person that comes in my office that chiropractic is not about pain. That is a beautiful side effect that we get pain reduction and that people feel better. But chiropractic is about reducing the subluxation so that your nervous system fires and functions at, at its best. It's not about the pain aspect. Um, and when people just focus on pain, they do not get the best kind of care they can. So when people are looking for chiropractors, look for vitalistic, holistic, subluxation based, that someone is looking on the whole and not just just listening to your pain. I do hear people's pain. I want to hear what people, you know, have going on and it does sometimes direct me in a different direction and, and gives me insight to that information. So it's not that I don't hear that information and I don't take it into consideration, but I'm not adjusting you based on your pain only. Yeah. Yeah. I know it was interesting to me when I learned that it had less to do with the bones and more to do with the nerves. Uh, I was like, Oh, because I, you know, would start hearing stories about how it helped with bedwetting where you're like, wait, cracking bones helps with bedwetting. You know, if that's all you're thinking of, but I was like, okay, this helps. Like if it's about nerves, it's about everything because yeah. (laughs) Um, And so I remember when I started going after that, when I realized that I'm like, okay, so I'm just going to start listing off everything head to toe that's going on with me. I'm like, I've got this weird eye twitch here. My jaw's clicking my, like I've had constipation. I've had like my, like leg is cramping. You know, I'm like, I'm just going to list all the things I'm like, and I'm really emotional. What can you do? (laughs) (laughs) And it does, it helps. It helps to know because sometimes too, even if we can't help, we might know the proper person to refer you to. And you know, and, and a lot of times too, like with, with extremity stuff, which I consider the jaw and extremity to the spine, <laughs> um, you know, those things we're not necessarily going to check all the time because not everybody, you know, has an issue. We're always going to check the spine every time, but the jaw, the ankles, the feet, the, you know, hip, whatever it might be. And some chiropractors don't check those areas. Um, I personally do because I know how much of a problem they can be for me. So, um, you know, when people tell me they have something going on, I'm going to check and I'm going to see, and, you know, sometimes it's another recommendation that's not chiropractic right but at least we figure out is there a a misalignment happening that's affecting then how the muscles pull which then affects the nerves which you know then goes back and affects the bone which then affects you know emotionally because you're in pain and you're not functioning right (laughs) no I had just come to you from the dentist and I was like 
So I noticed when my mouth was open for a really long time and I closed it, it like jig jagged, you know, like zigzagged. And so you busted out your little finger condom thing. (laughs) And oh my gosh, it felt so good. I remember you saying like, oh yeah, usually people don't like this, but it just, yeah, felt so good when you were like massaging in my cheek and it really helped. It helped immediately. It was amazing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, did you want to touch on um, either of your births? I know you mentioned sure. um, home births and water births. Yeah. How did, how did I would you love know to. about home birth? Because some people just, it's not even a part of their reality. Yeah. I mean, in the chiropractic world, we talk about all of that stuff, you know, and our goal is to have the least amount of intervention in our life and in our body and in our health um, from, you know, everything from, um, how we live our life, you know, um, medicine wise, or, um, you know, birth process, um, you know, just everything. Um, so I learned about that in school and I knew in school, when I learned about it, there was no other way for me that that was, that was going to be my process. And I was, you learned about home birth in chiropractic school. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because we take obstetrics. So we learn about all of those aspects. And because again, chiropractors typically are so open to anything natural that home births were talked about a lot. And a lot of our, um, fellow, some of my fellow Mm -hmm. students, you know, went through home births while we were in school. I attended a home birth, um, actually at the end of my schooling with one of my classmates. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just to me, the most beautiful way that you can, um, support the, the body's natural process. Because again, this is not a condition of being pregnant. It is a natural process that our bodies have been meant to do forever. So to me, it was only natural, um, you know, to, to go through that process. And so, um, I had a midwife for my first one. Cause I also, even though I'm a chiropractor, again, I'm not a midwife and that's not my specialty. And I didn't want to have to be a doctor when I was going through the process. I knew that that was, I was to be a mom and to be, you know, uh, someone in labor, um, managing the process, not dealing with what if something goes wrong? What if I need help? You know, whatever. Cause I knew full well that those were all possibilities. Um, and I also knew that the most important thing was that me and my baby were safe. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't opposed to a transfer if it was necessary, but um, a big part of the process for me was just fully trusting in the process, trusting in my body and knowing that I had had a healthy, normal pregnancy and my body was healthy and that I could do this um, and that there was nothing to um, outwardly to get in the way of it. I also chose not to do any ultrasounds. I didn't do any Doppler. I used a fetoscope. I didn't want anything putting any unnecessary um, energies or forces or anything into my baby, you know, as they were growing and developing. And so I refused all of that. Uh, And funny enough, it's a funny story because my midwife in my interview, I had asked her, so at birth, I'm not going to allow Doppler. Um, Are you okay with that? And she said, yeah, no problem. Um, Then we got to birth and she pulls out the Doppler and I looked at her and I said, no, no, we're not using that. And she said, I'm sorry, what? Uh, excuse me. <laughs> I said, yeah, mm. everything's normal. There are no signs of any danger. Um, I asked you at my interview whether or not you were okay with that. And you told me yes. And she was like, well, okay, clearly was a miscommunication. And she actually left the room and called the secondary midwife to tell her, hey, FYI, she is denying Doppler. Are you still willing to show up? 
And begrudgingly, the secondary midwife did show up, but was not happy about it. Um, and so, so did you, I, I don't want to interrupt, but so no. did you um, do the fetoscope in labor or did you not want to listen to the babies? Uh, I was happy to do that. But by the time that my midwife got there, because I, when I was laboring, so long story short, I woke up in labor probably around midnight, didn't realize it, mm -hmm. thought I just had to go pee. So I was up and down probably every hour um, going to the bathroom thinking I had to pee every hour. Um, my mom's story with me. <laughs> right. Um, and and so finally in the morning at the first one, it was seven, 8 a.m., 7 a.m., something like that. Um, I woke up and I was like, oh, no, I'm in labor. Like <laughs> I'm actually in labor. And I was also uh, almost, excuse me, almost at the 411, um, right? And um, but it wasn't Which quite because anyone it, listening is like, you know, contractions are at least every four minutes apart, lasting a minute. And they've been that way for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I woke my husband up and so we got up and we just started, we realized, okay, we don't have the connector for the tub, but we got to go out and get the connector. So my husband ran to the, the store to get that. I got up and started cleaning because we were having tons of my family and friends over. So I cleaned up the house and, you know, put, made my grocery list. So then we, you know, we headed to, um, uh, whole foods and got our groceries. And then we headed to the deli and got a sandwich and I had my chicken salad sandwich oh for lunch as I'm in labor and, you know, laboring throughout all of this. And, um, and we got home, you know, mid afternoon, like two o'clock or something. And I was, you know, everybody was notified. So everybody was kind of getting on their way, but we hadn't really notified the midwife yet because, it was not, it would last for almost an hour and then it would not. And then it would, you know, give me 10 minutes in between. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what the heck? So my husband finally was like, I'm calling the midwife. And so um, I think actually it was like five o'clock when we finally called the midwife. And so he called her and she heard me go through a contraction in the background. And she was like, I'm on my way. <laughs> so by the time she got there, I was seven or eight centimeters already dilated. So yeah, to answer awesome. your question, Leah, um, I, because the contractions were so close together, she was like, there's no point of a fetoscope because the contractions limit me from being able to hear. So we're just yeah, going to go with it. Definitely. Um, yeah. So how I, was just, I, I was just curious because, you know, sometimes we have folks who just don't care to track fetal heartbeat during the labor, which is totally fine. So yeah. just, I was curious what your, what I would have been open wanting. to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But she said it wasn't worth it. I said, okay, well then, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. yeah. And, and it so, can be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, uh, I labored all outside the tub. As soon as I went into hard labor, I got in the tub and, um, and it was so helpful because it was just what I needed. And I didn't think I'd birth in kind of a, a seated position, but I ended up birthing basically in kind of a squatting seated position and not really squatting those more seated. It's kind of weird, but it was the only position I could find that was comfortable. Um, and, oh, and to back it up, I, the reason why I wasn't getting to an hour is because I wasn't dilating completely all the way around. So when she got there and checked me, so then I had to lay on my side on my right side for a short period. And that was the most excruciating pain I've ever had going through contraction. Um, and that dilated me pretty much the rest of it. Cause it released that other side that needed to be. And then, so anyways, by the time I got to hard labor, I'm in the tub, I'm birthing. Um, and her head, uh, came out and, 
suddenly I wasn't getting contractions anymore. And so um, I'm just kind of sitting around waiting. And then I heard the secondary midwife um, say three minutes. And I knew that was her warning sign that she was getting worried. And so I just pushed through without a contraction and pushed her out and okay. called it good um, because I didn't want any other you know, interruption. And I didn't want to have to manage anything else. So she came out, she was healthy, normal, everything was good. And uh, it was the most beautiful experience I've ever had. And fully in my, um, control. Uh, and my midwife really was just there and, and to support, she didn't, she wasn't intervening with the process, which is what I wanted. I just wanted her there as a support. You know, I, I wasn't one of those women that wanted to even, even my husband tried to like touch me and massage me at some certain points. And I was like, get off, <laughs> back off. Um, you know, um, but it was great. And then my second one, she actually was, totally opposite. I labored from about, I mean, from midnight, I didn't go in, have my first child until 8 PM was when she was birthed. Um, and I only had about 45 minutes of hard labor. Um, my second one, I, same thing started about midnight or so going into labor and by seven, eight o'clock again, I was like in it. And so I thought, oh, great, we've got till tonight, like everything's going to be fine. And suddenly, and my laboring with my first one was, as you heard, I went shopping. I was like, yeah. it was fabulous. I was dancing around the house. You know, <laughs> it was fabulous. Um, the pain didn't come until hard labor. And on this one, it was so painful and uncomfortable. Mm. I couldn't hardly manage it. I ended up going into the bathroom. My husband was going to go out, go out and get some food because we hadn't eaten. Um, and it was probably around 10 maybe. Um, so it only been a couple hours of laboring and by 10 o'clock ish, um, I it's somewhere around then. So don't, don't quote me on my numbers. Anyways, I went into the bathroom and <laughs> suddenly I realized like I was in it. I tried to go upside down because the midwife wasn't there. I was trying to like slow it down. I went into a contraction for 30 solid minutes and went from basically from, you know, a few centimeters to transition to at least five by that point, um, because I hit the wanting to vomit. I hit all that stuff. And literally it happened in like three minutes or 30 minutes, excuse me. Um, and I was in a sustained contraction. It was the most painful thing I've ever been in. And then as soon as she got there, not shortly after that, um, then I was basically at 10 centimeters and, uh, she was born by 1234. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had 10 to 12 minutes of hard labor pushing. She was out mm -hmm. done. Yeah. So, yeah. and that was a relief, second, you know, when I baby is there. <laughs> yeah. Like I call them little torpedoes. <laughs> oh my gosh. They, they come barreling out sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, so many people have different experiences with their pain levels with whether it's laboring or whether it's hard labor. It was so weird to me that when I hit the hard labor on that second one, it was such a relief. Yeah. And mm. I was like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it, it was just weird to have those two experiences yeah. in one person. I know mm -hmm. um, when I've experienced um, contractions that don't seem to stop, you know, and like a lot of people call them like that, they just kind of linger and they just stay and there's no real like end to them. Um, I always see them as kind of like rotating contractions, like that mm. the body needs like a little extra force to get this baby to like turn or something. Interesting. So, um, that's what I've I think I've been noticing is that if there's just like a little extra oomph and then because it seems to be once that stops 
then all of a sudden it just like sails, you know? Um, yeah. It's like, okay, now the baby's like good to go. And then they're, then they're there. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I, that's a, I love that perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm sure that part of my challenges, cause I mean, again, they were all normal and natural and, you know, there was no, no drugs whatsoever. I did, I did, um, tear on both of them and had just stitches on both of them cause they were so fast. Um, but, uh, with everything, I think probably part of why I ended up with some of the things that I did, um, which again, totally normal and natural, but I practiced normal chiropractic throughout my entire pregnancies. My first one, I practiced a full day Monday adjusting. I think I adjusted probably 50 or 60 people that day and then gave birth Tuesday morning or Tuesday evening really, but went into labor. And and on my other one, because Michelle was not gonna have that again, she made me go out, but I literally went out like a week before um, I actually went into labor. Michelle was your chiropractic partner, right? Right, exactly. Um, and so, uh, yeah, both of them were like, you know, practicing fully all the way up. So I'm sure that affected my pelvic alignment and my balance, um, somewhat with all the relaxing and still dropping into people's bodies with my baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I love the story of how I found you, um, because I flew to Hawaii to help my cousin have her baby. And I think the second night after I got there, we were laying in bed together, her water broke and it was so exciting. It was her first baby. And the next morning she had her baby. It was so great. And she said something like, oh, shoot, I have a chiropractor appointment today. Like you should go take it. And I was like, okay. And so I went to her chiropractic appointment and um, uh, my husband and I had just started trying to have a baby, like literally the week before I left. Um, And um, so I was like, okay, well, we'll see what happens in a few weeks, you know? And I went to that appointment. And at one point she had her hands on my stomach, my lower belly. And she asked me if I have been having any like discomfort in my bowels or, you know, anything like that, or if I thought I could be pregnant. And I just started crying on the table and, and I told her that we were trying and she's like, oh yeah, you're definitely pregnant. And like, <laughs> this was to the point where I took a test for over like a week and a half, you know, like it, it was so early and I was, I was pregnant. And, um, but I remember her adjustment was just different than any chiropractic adjustment I had experienced before. And, and I was like asking her like, what, was there a specific school you went to? Is there maybe somebody closer than Hawaii that I could see when I get home. And I told her where I lived and she's like, oh, my like schoolmate lives in Petaluma. And it was Michelle. And I was like, oh my God, how convenient. I live in Petaluma. And it was just like so wild. And so of course, as soon as I got back, I was like, I have to go in. And then I remember I saw her a few times and then all of a sudden it just didn't line up and I was seeing you. And I remember being like, but wait, like Michelle's the one I'm supposed to be seeing, you know, like the one I was destined for, but like all the appointments, it just kept being you. And I just saw you my whole pregnancy. And, um, and then kind of, like skip Ben's story because in my head it wasn't a story until after Gracie um so I had my son and we'll get back to that but when I had my daughter um she came preterm went to the hospital long story short I ended up in the cesarean and she crashed she wasn't doing good um and eventually the doctors told us that there was nothing left they could do for her 
and um, that she was too sick to even be at this hospital. She should be at like a higher level hospital, but she was too unstable to even transport. Anytime they tried to move her, she got worse. So they were just like, you know, like even, even if she lives at this point, like she'd just be on oxygen the rest of her life. And they showed us an x-ray that her lungs had collapsed. And, um, and I had posted the picture of the x-ray on my Facebook page, just as like, send love, send prayers, whatever you have send to us. And you texted me and you said, please let me adjust her. I can see, I can see what's wrong. And I remember being like, no, like nobody can touch her, you know, like they can't even touch her. Um, and Spencer was like, what do we have to lose? There's nothing to lose. We've already been given the worst case scenario. Um, and so we said, yes, come. And so we just had our friend come and see our baby. And we told <laughs> the doctors, um, you know, please give us space. We have a friend coming to pray with us for our baby. And, and you came and four hours later, she needed nothing, no breathing machines, nothing. And she has never had an issue other than her attitude to this day. <laughs> You've never been able to adjust that. <laughs> oh, so amazing. Um, and I just love to, and then in hindsight, I was like, oh shit, this happened with my son. But at the time you were at the hospital adjusting me because my husband had pushed so hard on my lower back that he like gave like nerve damage. I was like shooting pain into my <laughs> neck and down my arm. But you know, at my birth, I was like, are you even trying? Like, so it wasn't his fault, but you were there adjusting me when our son was not doing good after his surgery. And um, the same thing, he was on all the same breathing machines and they were thinking it was a blood clot, but couldn't figure out what was wrong and you offered. And I remember don't feeling, I didn't feel hesitant then. I was like, yeah, for sure. And same thing, our friend, you know, just prayed for our baby and um, he came off everything. But I remember in that moment, I was like, like, it didn't even look like you did anything, honestly. <laughs> I was like, you know, like what? She's not it even doesn't. really doing much. And, um, and so I remember being like, he was probably just about to get better. I mean, it didn't hurt anything, obviously, but he was just about to get better. But then after Gracie, I was like, oh my God, like, this is like a double story. Like it happened with both of them. And, and I'd love to hand it over to you because I know that her pediatrician, her NICU doctor called you after, because I don't know, somebody heard something and, and he said, you know, did you adjust this baby? And you said, no, no, I didn't. And he said, if you were going to, what would you have done? And you're like, he just wanted to know he's, he knew that this baby wasn't going to make it. And, um, and yeah, you and I have talked candidly just about like, what a loss for NICUs that don't have this opportunity and how many babies didn't make it and then could have. And, um, I just love to like, hear your perspective on that. Cause it is a very like, sensitive topic um yeah yeah it is on so many levels you know because of course again I came in a capacity that um can be questionable uh you know and that's what this and podcast is about honestly because we always try to question mm -hmm. what we're like allowed to do by our license and we get into right 
we get into rants and topics where we're like, should we whisper this part? Like we don't want to get in trouble, but we also right. want to be honest, you know? And right. Yeah. And so, I mean, to me, a child's life is more important than my license. Mm-hmm. So uh, sorry, you like just mm-hmm. can bring me to tears. Um, hearing this is them, probably but... the first time I've said it without crying. I'm really proud of myself. Yeah, you did a great job. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, it's such, such a crazy experience, but you know, the thing that one, we had already had that bond. So I felt close enough to you to say, Hey, we've got to do this because again, what could it hurt? Right. Cause we know that a chiropractic adjustment for a, an infant is about the pressure of, I mean, it's, it's barely any pressure or a little bit of vibration and the bodies are so innately intelligent that they just know to make that shift and make that change. And that first cervical vertebra houses the brainstem, which is where your respiratory center is, which is where the vagus nerve leaves and goes in and controls all of those organs. So and, and also is the most unstable because you have the majority of your rotation is happening at that vertebra. And when babies, one, if they're coming vaginally, when they come out that um, vaginal opening, um, they have to rotate and turn so much that that could cause that subluxation in that vertebra. And if they're taken out via C-section, they pull the head and they lift that baby out of the, um, you know, the uterus by the head. And so again, the amount of, of stress that's happening on that joint um, is, is huge. And, and especially for a baby that has no musculature to hold everything still and, and stabilize. So um, that is where we find that most subluxations happen with newborns. It's not the only place, but it is the, the most common. And it's the one that affects most in the body. There are some techniques out there that only adjust occiput C1, C2. Um, and so we, we do that because how powerful it is. So I knew that if I could get you to let me to come in there to just check, just to see, and if there wasn't a subluxation, I wouldn't have adjusted. I wouldn't have done anything, but there was an atlas subluxation on both of them. And just that tiny little bit of an adjustment released that pressure off of their brainstem and those nerves to allow them to to succeed. The other thing that it does also is that it can block your CSF flow. Um, When that shifts over, it blocks that CSF flow, which is part of what they now know is called the glimpse system. And that glimpse system is like your lymph system in the whole body, but it bathes and cleans the brain. And when that's not happening, we get this pressure that's happening around the brain and can affect all again, all of those functions and, and what's going on. And with an infant, they're just trying to survive right now, right? There's no real cognition and so much stuff. They're, they're just trying to survive those basic functions of life. And so when we help to free that up and allow them to do what they need, it's amazing. And, and your children are perfect examples of how that could help so many other people, other babies that don't have to necessarily die. It, it doesn't fix everything, of course, but does it give them uh, a lot more fighting chance? Absolutely. And they're a testament to that because, you know, what Ben went through, he was already, you know, had so many challenges that this was not fixing all those challenges. It was just helping his body to work a little better to be able to manage those challenges better, you know, and, and so 
um, you know, when, when I saw those things and I knew of those things and I had the opportunity to come down to adjust you, I was like, well, I can't leave without adjusting Ben. <laughs> like that would be rem- like, uh, it would be malpractice for me to leave without adjusting him. Like, how dare I? Um, right. And so I just, you know, and all you can do is ask and you guys said yes. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And, and unfortunately us chiropractors, currently do not have rights to, to practice at the hospital. Um, and I wish that they would open up their mind to allow that, and some are. And so I hope that we continue to see that, but they don't, they still are only looking at a musculoskeletal um, model. And that's because we chiropractors were pigeonholed in the eighties to only be musculoskeletal because otherwise we are practicing medicine without a license, which is why we were jailed way back in, you know, when it first began. Um, but it's not true. We're not, we're not doing any of that. Right. Um, and so while I wanted to have, I wanted to tell that your, your doctor, everything I, I didn't because my license was on the line and while he seemed like he had good intentions, I also opened up the opportunity for him to come down and see what we did and do more. And I never got another phone call from him. So, and I've recently had a neurosurgeon who called and tried to do the same thing to me. Um, and it was very clear again, what his goals were once we, once he didn't follow through on the things he said he was going to do. And that he told my patient to never see me again, because I was going to, you know, this, that, and the other. Right. And so unfortunately they, I can't trust them because they're, yeah. Right. And so, um, I did tell them, however, in a very, um, you know, I told them what we do in our practice and how we affect babies and how that helps so many babies and how, you know, if you really want to know more, like what it would be like to get chiropractors in adjusting all these newborn babies from the NICU on out, you know, and how much that would affect him. And unfortunately, you know, his, his pushback was like, well, the rear cats will are never going to allow that. So like, there's no point. Right. Um, and so I hope that changes. I hope that's not true. And I hope that he was coming from a genuine place of wanting to understand and know what happened. Um, because it was, it was dramatic how his body changed and turned around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know, um, and you and I recently had another experience that was monumental for me. My yeah, son. For me too. <laughs> Good. My son had a, his first ear infection at six and a half years old. I was like, what the heck? Like he's, he's not a kid that got like chronic ear infections. And, and I really didn't know it was an ear infection at first because it was off my radar. You know, I thought maybe his molars were coming in because his cheek was kind of hurting and then his ear hurt. And so then I thought ear, but then his head was hurting and the sunlight was affecting him and threw up. So I was like, oh, maybe he has a migraine, like what's going on? Um, but I knew didn't matter what it was. Julie can help <laughs> um, because I've always like, oh, you know, whatever's going on, let's just do chiropractic first, yep. you know, before we go on to other things. Um, and so I had texted, you knowing you were working, but you would, you know, get back to me. And so I was slowly doing all the things during the day to help him. And my kids fever really high. It's always like, you know, at least 105. So I got used to high fevers. Um, and he was kind of hovering at 106 all day. But then of course, as night comes, fevers tend to grow. And I know that too. And he got to a little over 107, 107.4 something. Um, and he was just like screaming about his head. Eventually he was able to go to sleep and you messaged me, I'm off work. And 
I can come. And so you came and did a house call and I was like, he's already sleeping. You're like, that's fine. Um, and he was hilarious. You were adjusting him. And what did he say? Like, don't let the house get messy or something. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We'll be sure not to. Um, and then you didn't just use like the activator. He got his first, like, I don't, I want to call it real adjustment, but I don't know what you call it. Well, it's diversified technique, but it, I would just say a hand adjustment. So manual adjustment. Yeah. 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 Um, so the like stereotypical, like neck crack thing. Yep. And he woke up and he said, stop it, Gracie. <laughs> like, someone's messing with me while I'm sleeping in my chair. <laughs> yeah. It was really cute. And then, you know, you did what you were doing. I don't know what you were feeling. Maybe you can share about sure. that. Uh, so I adjusted the first one was the ox foot. And the reason why I did a manual adjustment is because it was so tight and, and stiff that I knew that it needed a little bit more than the activator. And I didn't want, I wanted it to be one and done and not have to keep going back. So I did that with the hand. I did the Atlas um, uh, also on the other side. And then I ended up adjusting with the activator C5. Um, and so those were what we found. And that's what yeah. I adjusted. Yeah. And so eventually he was kind of like, oh, now I'm awake. And we went downstairs and, um, and a friend had lent me, I think I pronounced it right. Otoscope, um, otoscope, otoscope mm-hmm. to look in the ears. And I was like, I've never done this before. And so you offered to peek and one ear looked good, but the other, you said, it looks like it ruptured. So, yeah. which was probably why he was feeling better. The pressure right. was relieved. And, um, and then I checked his temperature and it said 108 and I looked at you, I was like, <gasps> This, this was always my boundary. <laughs> like I'm comfortable with high fevers, but like not 108. Like I just won't let it get there. And you said, I'm not telling you not to take him in. And fever, like temperature always rises after adjustment. You kind of just like left it that. And I was like, yeah. okay, there's no other red flags here. You know, cause that's how I practice as a midwife too. Like don't overreact to one weird thing. You know, like it could be a fluke coincidence, like notice patterns building and like that's weird. And this is weird. And this is weird too. Like too many weird things, you know but there was nothing else wrong. He was talking, smiled at me. You know, I think he was even hungry. Um, and so I didn't take him in and he, he had no fever in the morning and his other ear started hurting the next day. But then within a couple hours, it was done. You know, it awesome. didn't, because I was like, I texted you like, oh God, we're going to like go through the whole thing again, but it just didn't. And I am assuming it's because his body was just able to function after that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and the biggest thing too, I've more so lately learned, um, because I've also been in the same state of, you know, with a fever, you know, there is a level of, okay, that is emergent and you need to go to the emergency room. And so I've always just had that in my mindset and more so recently, some of my other colleagues, again, have had put out more information about some of the research they've been doing and that fever is just a fever and fever has a purpose and fever is, is a good thing. And in and of itself, it doesn't necessarily cause those seizures. It's if you were dehydrated and then you get a high fever, then you might end up with um, you know, those seizures and whatnot. But again, a fever alone is not the problem. It's when you have lethargy or they're not peeing and pooping like they normally are. They're not taking fluids in. They're not, you know, making any sense. And they're like gibber- gibberish and you can't, you know, communicate with them. Those are signs that now it's time to go to the emergency yeah. room, you know, and, but and he was clear. totally normal. Yeah. <laughs> he and was like, Hey, because a lot of people throw around the word lethargy 
And it does not mean tired. It means no. like an unresponsive child, you know, because a lot of people are like, oh, my kid was so lethargic. And it's like, no, they're tired because they have a fever and they're sick. You know, that well, means- how do you, how are you when you're sick? Exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> Benjamin was actually lethargic when he was, I don't know, he was under a year, somewhere around nine months. Um, and he had 107 fever, but I picked him up and he was a floppy baby and vomiting and, you know, like wouldn't respond to us. And he had a really bad UTI. Um, but that's lethargy, you know, just to clarify, right. because some parents are like, oh God, my baby's lethargic. I'm, you, I should bring him in. It's like, no, they're just tired. And that makes sense. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. true. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that experience because it, it set a new bar for me. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> and I always appreciate that because, you know, we got to keep being outside of our box and, and keep pushing those limits for ourselves too. And so I appreciate having, having that opportunity come and, and help and experience that with you guys. Yeah. It's, I, I, I keep thanking my children over and over again, because would I have loved to have birthed her at home in the wild into my own arms? You know, it's like, yes. And I got so much more out of her experience, you know? Right. So much more. Yeah. yeah. And like, obviously it's taken me five years to be able to appreciate it. And um, yeah, so um, yeah, it's interesting. But, I fully um, agree with you. I've, I've had a lot of experiences in my life that I think, oh, I really didn't need to go through this, but the amount that I learned from it and gained from it, and that now I can give back to my patients as a result has been just immense. And, you know, I know that's God's way of keep giving me my, my life lessons. Um, and I keep telling him I don't need anymore, yeah. um, but you know, I super appreciate that because it does, you can't, you know, when you learn from experience, it's so much greater than from a book or from listening to somebody else's experience. So it's, yeah. yeah. And I had messaged a couple people in my life um, after that experience, thanking them for not reminding me that I could go to the hospital and for not reminding me there were antibiotics. Cause like, no shit, I know all those things, you know, I'm not dumb. Like, Oh, right. Thank you for telling me. I would never have even thought of that. Like, of course, but I was in this new territory and I was I was tuned into him, not in the sense where I felt like I knew what was going on or how this was all going to go, but I felt very confident that when it is time, I will know. And yeah. I wasn't there, but I was so out of my comfort zone that if anyone I trusted had said, you really need to take him in, I probably would have, you know, yeah. it would have like swayed enough within me that I would have been like, okay, maybe I can't trust that, you know? And so I really appreciated that they were just there supporting without giving their opinion and just trusting that I got him. Like, you know, they held me so that yeah. I could be responsible for him. And it was the best support. And that goes back to birth too. You know, like that's Lee and I, we, that's the role we try to hold is just hold space for you and you know how to birth your baby, you know? Right. Well, I think that is so, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was oh. just going to say, so when, when all this was happening with Ben, I was at a birth with Nina and we were doing great and everything was fine. And, you know, we just were like, Sophia, why don't you stay with Ben? Um, and, but like getting updates with what was going on and my younger daughter, who's now 11, um, she actually had a febrile seizure when she was four or five, it was a little older than what is kind of more typical. Mm -hmm. um, and what I was told 
my understanding about them is that it has more to do with the speed at which the fever climbs than the actual temperature of the fever. So if it rapidly increases, um, but that's neither here nor there, but um, I was just going to say, Sophia, Nina and I, you know, when you wrote us that it was 108, we both kind of looked at each other and our eyes got big. And I said, you know what, if anyone knows Ben and his body and what is right for him and what's normal and all of that, it's Sophia. Mm, yeah. yeah. And I really felt that. I really felt like you have had to do so much advocating and trusting and exploration and learning and all this stuff about Ben and his needs and all of that, that it was like, if anyone knows what's okay and what's not for him, it's her. So, you know, I would totally piggyback that be because parents, yeah, that was exactly my thought, you know, when I got the text, because funny enough, what Sophia omitted from that was that she texted me and I was like texting her, you know, hey, and she said, well, maybe, you know, maybe check in tomorrow. And I was like, um, I think with this temperature, like tonight's a good option. Like, I think now is what we should do, you know, and then I wasn't getting a text back because apparently she was on the phone with a doctor and, uh, and I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll go home. But I was like, what the hell girl like tonight is the the time that is that level of fever needs to at least have every opportunity to heal if you're going to stay home with that but I was like that is out of my comfort zone you know so again I I uh, my feeling inside was Sophia is amazing she's an amazing midwife she's an amazing mom she's been through hell and back and seen all sorts of levels of of just things that most of us have never had to deal with and never seen. And she knows her children and she knows when it's time. So like, I had no doubt, there was no fear in my heart that she wasn't going to act appropriately outside of the fact that I was like, no, no, adjustment now. Like, oh, it's so late. Like by the time you had got off work, I was like, oh, maybe he's already asleep, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, then I called an advice nurse and it was completely pointless. Like the surgeon was like, because I called UCSF because we hadn't heard back from his regular pediatrician all day. And, um, and so I called the surgeon and they were like, we don't see anything from a surgical standpoint. I'm like, I know that, but like, <laughs> You're still so a doctor. I got off the phone. I was like, that was pointless. And then I saw your message and I was like, okay, just come. <laughs> yes. I was so glad to get that. <laughs> well, um, yeah. is there any lingering advice you would give to anyone listening who maybe hasn't dove into chiropractic care anything we haven't touched based base on um or any like hesitancies that you see being really frequent with people probably what i would say the 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 biggest thing is that chiropractic is safe and gentle and you are only going to help yourself to get under care, to support yourself through really through life, but definitely through pregnancy and birth and postpartum even um, because of all the changes that your body's going through. And there are people that are more specifically um, uh, educated in taking care of pregnant women and newborns. And you can definitely seek those providers out, but we're all trained in school how to take care of a pregnant woman. Um, so at the very least, you know, getting some care is, is beneficial and and while I, again, say that there are good and bad in every profession, um, chiropractic is gentle and safe. And um, 
it's only going to help you and people, the benefits they get from it are so far reaching and to see women suffer in their pregnancy because of fear just makes me so sad, you know, um, and there's nothing to fear, you know, it's, it's going to help you. And if you don't find the right practitioner, find another one. Um, it's okay. Find the one that you jive with and that you feel has the best, um, care for you. Um, but don't be in fear of getting taken care of because there's way that ways that we modify, there's ways that we address, um, um, different stages of challenges in the pregnancy or concerns. Um, and there's just so many different ways to get adjusted. And it's only going to help your nervous system to be more free and fully functional. And it leads to faster, easier births. That is research. Um, so I love that. Um, and, and so who doesn't want a faster, easier birth? Um, and can I chime on in just one thing? Cause I wanted to, I kind of missed this with my birth story and I just don't want to leave it lingering. Cause I want yeah. you to also know my midwife when she, you know, kind of freaked out, we had a conversation postpartum when she did my checkup and she was really, you know, we were talking about learning from our experiences while she didn't expect that she was happy to dive in it with me once she got over the fear shock um, because she knew I, she knew that I knew my body and I knew the process and that if something went wrong, of course I would use those tools that we had at our hands. And she knew that too. And so afterwards she actually thanked me for the experience and for kind of making her box expand again a little bit further. Um, and, and it was great. So I just wanted to make sure I put that in there because she really, you know, while she didn't expect it, she rode that journey with me and, and was in it and happy to do it. So anyways, you midwives are amazing. And we, again, I've said this to you, Sophia, so many times, and Leah, I'm sure the same, I haven't had as much experience with you, so I don't know you as well, but I know that you're with Sophia, so I know you guys must be of like mind, and so many midwives these days act out of fear or restrictions in their, their um, licensure, and you guys act on the just the process and the nature, um, the, the natural experience of it and, and knowing and having the trust in the body and the mom, rather than creating fear within those women and helping them to have the best experience and knowing when it's time to ask for help or transfer or doing any of that, you know, because, um, I can't tell you the number of experiences, whether it's in the hospital or even home births that the, there's just so much intervention and it's unnecessary, whether it's at home or in the hospital. And so I think you guys just hold such an amazing space for women and really empower them in, in that it's their process. You're not there to deliver a baby. You're just there to support them. Yeah. So I love that. Thank you. Thanks. That's our goal. Yeah. It was so <laughs> great to chat with you and we're so sad you're leaving, but do you want to say what area you're moving to? And I know you don't have a lot of like contact info to give but when you do we will put it in the show notes but but say where you're moving to so that people can find you awesome well I'm moving to Middleton Idaho um which is a tiny little town about 25 minutes northeast of or northwest of Boise so um probably will have my doors open some way somehow I'm not exactly sure how it's going to happen just yet but in probably about six months um, so, and again, I'm going to be another serendipity chiropractic. So, um, in that area, you just have to look up serendipity chiropractic and you'll be able to find me at some point. And you were also lucky to find her. <laughs> yeah. oh, I so appreciate you. Oh, it was really good to chat with you and, um, thank thanks. You. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah. It was so fun. All right. Have a good day. You too. Good luck. Bye. Bye.
Thanks everybody for listening. You can find us at Born Wild Podcast on Instagram. For inquiries or feedback, you can email us at bornwildpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me, Emma Ray, on Instagram at Emma Ray, R-E-A, Sophia at sophiabirth.com, and me, Leah, at Bay Area Homebirth. We would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us reach more people. And as always, stay wild. wild.